Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer, and then he took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencrie, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And now let's flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the first three verses. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Let's take a few moments to reflect on God's word. I wonder if you've ever gotten an email or a text message or a phone message that you just wish you hadn't read or heard. I mean, you opened up your email and you read it and it was troubling and discouraging. And the reason it was tro- one of the reasons it was troubling and discouraging because it was something was relayed to you that you were going to have to get involved with. It wasn't just information and then you just, 
hit the delete button. It was something that was going to require you to hit the reply button. And it was just the kind of email, I don't know if you've ever gotten, you thought, I wish I just hadn't opened my email. I mean, I, my day was going fine, and now, you know, you, you just can't get away from that information. And it makes you just want to say, maybe if I just take a nap. And then when I wake up, it'll just sort of all go away. You've ever had that feeling? But, but it's not that kind of email. It's not that kind of phone message. It doesn't go away because it's telling you something and you have to get involved with it. You have to, to put yourself in the problem because you're going to be a part of trying to figure out uh, the solution. We're beginning a long series in the book of uh, the letter to uh, the Corinthians called First Corinthians, Paul writing the letter. And I think it's fair to say this kind of feeling that I've been describing is the kind of feeling Paul would have had when he opened up an email when he was in the city of Ephesus, a first century email. Somebody had come to him and talked to him about what was happening back in the city. And probably, uh, you know, he's just doing his ministry, and then somebody shows up and says, hey, how are things going in Corinth? And you just go, he, he might have just thought, I wish I hadn't asked. Like, I was, everything was going so fine, and now they tell me this discouraging, troubling news from this church that I planted, and it's been a year and a half in. And it's the kind of stuff, since he's the church planter, he has to respond to, he has to write back about. And my guess is there, there were times that he was writing just thinking I just wish I didn't have to say this I wish I didn't have to engage but it was it was his problem to try to work on and so that's what we're that's sort of the idea that that, that's the the place that we're entering into when we look at this book of first Corinthians Paul planted this church he spent 18 months there and then he left to go to another city called Ephesus and somebody had come sometime later and given him this report about his church that he had planted in Corinth. And he finds out that, you know, after he left, lots of problems occurred. And not just the run-of-the-mill church problems, because every church has its problems, but Corinth was like a special case. It was a church that had problems on steroids. It wasn't just the regular problems. These were were a multitude of problems, and each one seemed to be very big. Let me just give you a sampling. As soon as Paul left the church, is typical when the leader leaves, there's a leadership vacuum and divisions quickly arise in the church as to who we really should be listening to and who we should be following. And this church community that was supposed to be like a family devolves into politics. I don't know if you've ever been in a church like that. Just little groups of people for themselves, just like you would think in politics. And this one big group who was supposed to be for Jesus, somehow it's now every, every group for themselves. Some members were having sex with prostitutes and thinking that was okay. Some other members were getting drunk at communion. Now, that'd be hard for us. You have a lot of those little cups, but <laughs> the way they did it, you come to communion And some of the people just had a little bit too much to drink, and they were getting drunk, and they weren't thinking that was a big deal. Some of the teachers there were teaching that there was no resurrection from the dead. And the church service itself was chaotic, and the reason it was chaotic is some people who thought they had special gifts wanted to stand up and make sure everybody knew that they were specially gifted. 
So just imagine, this is just some of the problems in the church. This is just some of the email that Paul opened up to read that day in Ephesus. And now you get an idea of why he might have been sorry he opened his email that day. And 1 Corinthians is Paul's reply. Instead of sitting, sitting delete and just not thinking about it, he sits down and he, he pens this letter, 16 chapters, and, and he just walks through sort of one minefield after another, which is what we're going to be doing over the next several months. And one of the things that you'll see Paul do is he regularly requires the people in the church at Corinth to see their problem through the lens of the gospel. He wants everybody to be looking at Jesus and then through Jesus to look at their problems and look at themselves. And then he gives them an answer on how to begin to tackle these problems. So that's why our our main theme for the the study is through the lens of the gospel. We want to look at our problems. We want to look at these problems. We want to look at ourselves through the lens of the gospel. So this morning, in order to launch into this uh, long journey that we're going to take together through the book of Corinthians, I I want to do two things. First, I want us to have a a real feel for what the city of Corinth was like, because to understand the content of the letter, you have to understand the character of the city. So he's talking about a first century city that has particular uh, characteristics And if you don't really understand the characteristics, you just go into the the text and you really don't understand the background of what he's trying to face. And secondly, and then we'll turn to the book of Acts, I want us to be encouraged by what I'm calling the bumpy biography of Paul. He's an evangelist. He's trying to help people know who Jesus is. He's trying to be faithful himself. And we'll see it's a pretty bumpy road for Paul. And I want you to be encouraged because your life is bumpy. Your efforts to bring people to Christ are bumpy. And I think you can be encouraged by just watching Paul just in this little picture of his time in uh, Corinth. So this this sermon is going to take a little extra work of you listening because there's a lot of different points here. Uh, But you lean in and you do your best, and I think we'll both be helped by looking at the character of Corinth, and then let's look at Paul's bumpy biography. First first of all, the character of Corinth. Uh, Geographically, Corinth sits at an intersection, and it's an intersection that's both north and south and east and west. And so if you think of the, the mainland of Greece... There's two main parts, a northern part and a southern part, and they're joined together by a small little land bridge. It's called an isthmus. You might have remembered learning that in your geography class in high school, an isthmus. It's it's hard to say. It sounds like you have a little lisp when you say it. But it's a little land bridge, and this particular land bridge is just a few miles wide, and it joins the the landmass in the south to the landmass in the in the north. So all the commerce that's happening in Greece, north to south, has to go through Corinth. Also, Corinth sits at an east-west intersection. So goods and trades that are coming out of Italy, which are coming out of Europe, and they're trying to get to Asia, they don't want to go around the southern tip of Greece. They want to try to cut that off by, by going through Corinth. 
And now there's a canal in Corinth you can actually get a ship through, but there wasn't a canal then. So what people did is they'd pull the boat up on one side of the port city of Corinth. They'd unload all their merchandise. They'd have people transport it five or six miles, put it on another boat, and it would sail to Asia. If your boat was small enough, they had slaves that would pull your boat across. Imagine this. On rollers. And so you would just pull your ship up. Somebody start pulling a big rope, several people. And just for six miles, they'd pull this boat over on rollers. They'd get in the harbor on the other side and go off to Asia. So it's at this intersection. It's a very important city. It's a very busy city. It's a city full of commerce. And it's a city that thrives on wealth, power, and recognition. Those were all the signs of success in Corinth. Are you wealthy? Are you powerful? Do people know who you are? Then you know you've arrived if you're in the city of Corinth. And the problem that we're going to see again and again is that these values from Corinth, they slipped into this church. All these things they valued in the culture began to slip into the church. And I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 Corinthians 4. This is the hard work on your part. You'll have to flip through Corinth with me. Paul's saying, already you have everything you want. And then notice what he says. You've already become rich. Without us, you have become kings. See, they're saying, we've arrived. We've come to meet God, and God has given us everything that we need. This is the seeds, the very first seeds seed in the first century of the prosperity gospel. Our culture demands that if you're successful, you're wealthy and prosperous. So we come in, we meet a God who's in control of all things. So he must want us to be wealthy and prosperous. And Paul's saying, what I hear is that you guys, you're rich. You're kings. You have everything you need. Then he goes on in some sense of irony, and he said, boy, I wish that were so. But, but when I think, verse 9, for I think that God has exhibited us apostles, it's a bummer to be an apostle because you're the last of all people. You're like a person sentenced to death. That You've become a spectacle to the world. You're like a fool. And then he says, you're wise, but we are weak. You are strong. You are held in honor, but we're in disrepute. To the present hour, we, these poor apostles who have come to share with you the gospel, we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted, and we're homeless. Oh, but you guys, you've arrived. You You can hear the tension, the irony Paul's trying to say. These people had taken what their culture was. They moved it into the church and assumed God was giving, going to give them the same thing. And Paul is saying, yeah, he didn't give it to the apostles. And he's trying to say, and we'll see there, he hasn't given you the same thing either. Geographically, Corinth is an important city. Secondly, Corinth was home of the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games. That's second only to the Olympics. They're every other year. They're located in Corinth. And so one of the games 
You, you might think of typical wrestling and that kind of stuff, but one of the games, and I would have liked to have seen this, was you were, right, you were riding standing on a team of horses. And you had to walk across that team of horses as they were running and jump to another team of horses. That's like the X Games or something. You know, you think, wow, that's crazy. So somebody's riding this team of horses. They stand up they start walking across the backs of these teams of horses. And at some point, in order to get the medal, you have to jump and successfully land on another team that's riding as well. So Corinth was not only prosperous, it was competitive which is why we have statements like this, 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games, the Isthmian games, goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it, our discipline, Paul's going to ask them to be self-disciplined, is for a crown that will last forever. So now you, you have a sense of what Corinth is like. You understand how Paul gets this language in 1 Corinthians 9. And like most competitive cultures, what comes along with the competitive culture? Bragging. Oh, yes, you got to brag. you got to boast. Because I'm better or I'm stronger or my team won or whatever. Some of you probably just did some incidental bragging as you came in this morning about your college team that beat another college team, there are many here that have nothing to brag about just yet for their college team. But maybe there will be a day that comes and you will be able to brag. But that, that whole culture of bragging, of boasting about yourself, of making yourself look big, making yourself look great. But most of the bragging in Corinth wasn't about a team. It was about yourself. I want you to see how great I am. Even inside the church, it wasn't just something outside the church in the games. You brought that bragging into the church, and I need you to see how wonderful my special gifts are. And that bragging came into the church. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians one thirty-one, let him who boasts, what? Boast in the Lord. Inside, guys, there's no boasting. We're all equal at the foot of the cross, and we just have one thing to boast about. And when we get in here, we're just going to boast about Jesus. We're not going to boast about ourselves. We don't look good when we come into the church. 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter I can't wait to get to on love. Love does not envy. It does not boast. So if you're loving one another, you're not going to be boasting. That's just uh, uh, antithetical to the character of a Christian. So Corinth was geographically located, and because of its geography, it had to be successful. Wealth, power. It was competitive. It was a bragging kind of city, and it was also a very talkative kind of city. The people in Corinth don't, didn't just like sports. They liked rhetoric. They loved people who were great talkers, and they were hungry to hear people who were great orators. Great communication was admired. And people were drawn to great communicators. Unfortunately, in Corinth, and this is going to be hard for you to think about, but in Corinth, the, the communication was what was key, the greatness of the communication, not necessarily the truth. 
Can you imagine that? Living in a culture where what's valued is just that somebody's a wonderful communicator, but really second seat is the truth. It, it doesn't matter if it's quite the truth. As long as you're really great at speaking it, I'm going to give you applause. Yeah, you can imagine that. In the local Corinth's Got Talent show, it was full of these powerful speakers who were hungry for applause, and the congregation was hungry to be entertained. The people on the stage were hungry for applause, and the truth didn't quite matter, and the people listening just wanted to be entertained. So they didn't mind if the truth came across as long as they left saying, hey, I was entertained. 1 Corinthians 1.11. The very first problem Paul addresses in his letter was how people were dividing up behind who's the best speaker. Was it Peter? Was it Paul? Was it this other evangelist named Apollos? And we'll talk about that, but here's what I want us to read together, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, because this was stunning to me when I read it and really applied it in the way it was meant. Paul said, Paul sees this culture. He understands that the people are hungry for entertainers. They're hungry for good speakers. And so Paul and I, when I came to you, brothers, comma, I came bringing my A-game. I pumped up the fog machine and I got everybody excited. That's sort of what you anticipate. I knew everybody really wanted a dynamic speaker, so I came in with the most dynamic uh, communication I could possibly give. It's the very opposite. I, I purposely did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Imagine that. I understood the culture was hungry for a great communicator. And I came in with nothing to be valued in the way I communicated. I purposefully spoke in very simple, plain, non-dramatic terms. Now, why? Verse 2. I decided to know nothing among you except the truth about Jesus Christ. You see what he's doing? In the Corinthian culture, what got out front was the speaker. And then whatever he said sort of kind of came behind. But that didn't matter as much as long as you were a great communicator. And Paul came in and said, hey, I've got to put the gospel out front. And I don't care if you remember me or care about me, but you've got to know Jesus Christ. And I understood the culture was hungry for entertainment. And they came into the church looking for entertainers, not necessarily looking for the truth. And Paul comes in and says, I'm just going to give you the truth, and I'm purposely not going to be very entertaining. Now, that was terribly convicting as a pastor to think about making sure the truth has a front and center stage, and that when people leave Christ Community Church, they're talking about Jesus. They're not talking about Paul Phillips. Paul understood the city. Final characteristic, Corinth was religiously full, yet morally corrupt. 
archaeologists have uncovered at least 26 separate temples in the city of Corinth, all to different gods. So when you talked about religion in Corinth, they all understood religion. They're very familiar with religion, but it was very morally corrupt. The, the main part of the city sat at the base of a very high 2,000-foot mountain. It's called the Acro-Corinth. And at the top of every ancient city, we talked about this before, what's at the top of every ancient city? A temple. And that temple, whoever it's dedicated to, tells you what dominates the city. And at the top of Corinth is the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love and pleasure. So it's telling every sailor, every merchant who comes through, oh, there's lots of religion here, there's lots of talk here, but the one thing that washes over the whole city is the idea of Aphrodite. You've come here for pleasure. It sounds a little bit like Las Vegas. You just you don't live there. You just come through to satisfy some kind of pleasure. One historian says in the temple of Aphrodite that people would come and visit. There were a thousand prostitutes, which included women and young boys. Who would just serve the sailors and merchants who anonymously pass through the city. They get what they need, they sail on. That dominated the culture. Can you imagine imagine living in a culture dominated by sexuality? That even though there were lots of other things going on, this one thing seemed to be overall. Well, yes, you can imagine that. It's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Now, you know why he's saying that. To understand the, the content of the letter, you have to understand the character of the city. So prosperity, competition, Rhetoric, entertainment, sexual immorality, these are the the chambers that create the heartbeat for the city of Corinth. And the biggest problem Paul was facing is that the Corinthian dream got imported into the church. And God now was just here to support the Corinthian dream. And let me say, that's easy to do in every culture. To take the American dream, And say, yeah, God's just going to fulfill that for me. To take your own dream of whatever you thought your life should be like and to import it and say, God, here's what I'd like to see happen. And I know you've got the power, so you're supposed to make that happen. It doesn't happen that way. And when people come in and think God is supposed to be supporting their dream and it doesn't happen, they get very disenchanted with God. Hey, I thought, my, I thought it was supposed to work out this way, and it doesn't work out that way. And God never promises it, but you think that he does because you've imported your dream into the, into the church. So we face a, a similar danger today. Second thing I want us to be aware of and be encouraged by, let's go to Acts chapter 18, is this bumpy biography I'm calling uh, of Paul. 
This is how he gets to Corinth, Acts chapter 18. And his road was bumpy before he ever visited Corinth. He was in Asia. He got some uh, special dream. It's called the man from Macedonia. That's what the northern part of Greece is called. And so he goes to the northern part of Greece, and he goes to Philippi. He goes to Thessalonica. He goes to Athens. These are all north to south, and he ends up in Corinth. In Philippi, he's beaten and imprisoned. In Thessalonica, he's threatened, and he has to leave. He ends up at Athens, the place of scholars, the university he's laughed at. And then he comes to Corinth. And so it's not surprising, 1 Corinthians 2, 3, he comes in weakness, fear, and trembling. I mean, he felt like he got a call to come, but every place he's come, it's been not good for Paul. It's been a bumpy road. It hadn't turned out exactly how he might have wanted it to turn out. And I wonder if you ever feel like your evangelistic efforts are like that. You feel like you're supposed to go in a certain direction, but it just never, it doesn't work out like you'd wished it was. Or people put you in a religious box, or you feel threatened, or you feel laughed at. Or you feel like I'm entering into a conversation with a family member or a neighbor or somebody in my workplace, and I'm afraid. I don't know how they're going to perceive me. I don't know how, what kind of questions they might ask me. And I come in this trembling kind of way. If you've ever felt that way, you're in great company with the Apostle Paul. He felt the same way. Such a great point for, for a young life leader like Jonathan and those who are here. Every time, no matter how many times you've been to the high school or how many times you've been to the student section, I mean, I did it for 13 years, and I was nervous the 13th year as I was the very first year. And I can remember the very first time I went to New Hanover High School, I spent 13 years there. The very first time, the very first person I met, a sophomore girl, she comes marching up to me and says, I wish you had never come here. And at that moment, I was thinking, me too. (laughs) Makes two of us. See, I thought something was going to happen, but my road was bumpy right at the very beginning. I got a lot of pushback. I got people saying, I don't want you to be here for whatever the reason. And you may feel that way. And I want you to know it's part of the bumpy road. Second part here we see in verses 1 through 3. Upon arrival with this fear and trembling, by God's mercy, the first two people he meets are Aquila and Priscilla, this couple who have come from Italy, and they spent 18 months working together. They both happen to make tents, so they're both in the same business, and so they would start making tents that people can buy in Corinth. And they forged such a strong bond together that we read all the way through verse 18, Aquila and Priscilla actually leave with Paul and go on and And they're mentioned in Paul's very last letter, 2 Timothy. So what starts here becomes a lifelong friendship. And let me tell you, I love this part of the road. I wish I could be on this part of the road all the time. And you've been in it, haven't you? Where God divinely orchestrates two people coming from different places, and they just meet at a certain time. Here's a couple being run out of Italy, and Paul, with fear and trembling, they're both coming to Corinth. 
and they just happen to make tents. They just happen to meet together, and they become lifelong friends. And I want you to appreciate when God gives you somebody like that. You, you, can th- you probably can think of some people right now. You just go, we just arrived at this place, and somehow, and now we're lifelong friends. That might be happening to some of you right now. You've come to UNCW from one city. Somebody's come from another state, and you just happen to be here right now, and you're going to be friends for the rest of your life. When Nancy and I got married back in 1987, we moved to Columbia, South Carolina, and we were going to start our life together and ministry together. At the same time, a couple, Rhett and Ann Sanders, were moving from Greensboro, North Carolina, to Columbia, South Carolina, about a mile from our house, and they were going to start doing youth ministry together. And we met each other. Two weeks ago, when I went on my vacation, I stopped by Columbia, and I had a four-hour lunch with Rhett Sanders. 28 years later. And I would do whatever I could for him, and he would do whatever he could for me. Just because God dropped these two couples into this city just for a little bit of time that forged something that lasted forever And I want you to be thankful to God when you have those people that he provides for you. When you have need of courage, he provides these people. Verses 4 through 7, we see that it was Paul's practice to visit the local synagogue and talk to the Jews about Jesus. And his results in Corinth really weren't that encouraging. Some people came. But I would have loved to have been at this moment. I know it was an extremely frustrating moment for Paul. But he goes to the synagogue for some number of days, and, and, and really he gets a lot of pushback. And in some dramatic fashion, at some particular point when they just sort of rise up against him, he walks out of the synagogue and visually takes his cloak, and he's just like, like, I don't even want the dust of your remains to be on me. And then what does he say? Your blood is on your own head. I mean, this isn't... Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. This isn't like chapter 3 of that. This doesn't seem like the standard evangelistic, you know, routine. But he'd done all that he could. They were so frustrating to him. He was frustrating to them. He was just like, I'm done. I don't know when it is, but sometimes you're done. And your effort moving forward wouldn't be helpful for the person you're trying to evangelize. Now, I've never taken off my cloak and shook it out and said, your blood be on your heads. I've thought that sometimes. But there are times that you would just say, you know what, for whatever reason, I'm I'm not it. It doesn't mean God's done. That's what I want you to hear. It just means you're You're done. It's a bumpy road. Sometimes it's just time for you to be done. And say, God, I can pray for him, but but I'm done. I'm not helping in any way, and I'm just going to trust you with their souls. Paul leaves. Some, Some people follow, but his two closest companions appear to be fear and discouragement. And so God comes with this divine visit, and he says things that would be very wonderful here to hear. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Don't be silent. I'm with you. No one will harm you. 
But then he says something very strange. It's like he offers this divine perspective, and he says, I have many in the city who are my people. What what does that mean? There aren't any Christians in this city, or very few. But God's saying, Paul, from my perspective, I have many people in this city. And see, God sees something Paul can't see. There are many people who have been chosen before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians 1-4, that God is going to use Paul to call to the kingdom of God. And Paul can't see him, but God sees him, and he tells Paul, you keep going. I'm going to use you to call some people to the kingdom of God. Paul, God's planning on using Paul to do something that Paul can't see. And this divine perspective puts the wind back in Paul's sails and he stays another 18 months. And I would say even if you're afraid and discouraged, even if you have to walk away from some people, don't give up on God. He's working in ways you can't possibly see. And even when you see things, you might say, oh, that's not going to be good for that person. And why do I say that? Paul stays there for 18 months, and he's ministering to the Gentiles, but the Jews are still all riled up. And 18 months later, they bring a case to this guy named Galileo. It's not Galileo. It's Gallio, right? That's his name, Gallio. Sorry. They bring him to Gallio and say, hey, we want this guy to be imprisoned or beaten or whatever they they wanted. And Gallio says, hey, this all has to do with Jewish stuff, and it's not, it's not my, my thing, so I'm done. So no harm becomes, comes to Paul, just as God promised. But these people have a lot of energy, right? And where does it go? The leader, Sosthenes. How'd you like to be him? I mean, we were planning on beating up Paul, and he got out of the way. We've got to beat up somebody. And you're the leader. You got us to this point. So they all just jumped on him in front of Gallio. And he said, well, too bad. Bummer to be Sosthenes right now. 1 Corinthians 1.1. Paul is writing a letter to his friends in Corinth. I, Paul, and who else is included who's writing the letter? Sosthenes. Somehow after this beating, in some kind of recovery room, Sosthenes started thinking, maybe what Paul said was right. And his leaving was to my eternal benefit. And I would have loved to have been on the side of the door with the Apostle Paul when Sosthenes came to Ephesus And Paul opens the door. If it had been me, I'd be like, I'm shutting the door. (laughs) And Sosthenes says, I was one of the people. I was one of the people God chose. And Paul, I'd like to be on your evangelistic team. Imagine him giving the testimony in any city. I was the guy trying to beat this guy up. 
But God chose me from before the foundations of the earth. See, the road is bumpy. And you have no idea how God might use you. Trust in God for your own soul. For his dream for your life, not your dream or the American dream for your life. And trust him along the way as you reach out to people who don't know him. Let's pray together. Lord, we we understand a bumpy road. We understand trying to talk to somebody about Jesus and being afraid or, or being shut down or shut out. We understand importing our dreams into the church, importing our desire for power, prestige. We, these are all things. This letter is going to be so good for our church and for our souls. But it would only be good if you, by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, bring it to bear in our hearts. And so I pray that you would do that, not just today, but for this whole series, that as people leave, they've had a living encounter with Jesus Christ. That they would remember Not the speaker, but the one who spoke creation into existence. We pray in that great name, Jesus. Amen.